week and what we've been talking about the glory, although it's not a different tract. It goes right along with this. This week I was with a bunch of ministry leaders, Messianic rabbis and pastors uh, for our annual Messianic Leadership Roundtable. It's just good to be with my brothers and sisters who have committed their lives and ministries. But, you know, one thing that we saw is um, a lot of us have kind of lost temporarily the joy, the passion that we had at the beginning. And um, But anyways, I, I was encouraged by a word that I heard, and, and I want to kind of share a little bit of that today. Um, you know, we've been talking about the glory, and the glory is when just God comes in and takes over in an incredible way. The presence of the Lord is is manifest, and we 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 looked in the scriptures where Solomon, when he was a young man, he, you know, Lord says, "Well, what can I give you?" And he says, "I just need wisdom on how to lead these people." And there was just an anointing that came upon that young man. And you remember when they dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, and the, and the glory cloud, the kavod, just covered the place so that they couldn't even minister. And I want to read a scripture that comes a little bit later in his life, Solomon. Solomon, at this point in his life, he needed a cruise. And you can, but I'm so glad that the book of Ecclesiastes is listed in the scriptures because so many of us can identify And that's the wonderful thing about the word. It encourages us, but it also encourages us to see that others who are great men of God walk through seasons where they're like, God, where are you? What's going on? Anybody? And so we read the scriptures and we go, you know what? We're not alone. So if you would, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter (coughs) 1. The words of Kohelet, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Futile, futile, says Kohelet. Completely meaningless. Everything is futile. You ever feel like that? Come on, yeah, honestly we do. What does a person gain in all his labor that he toils under the sun? A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to the place that rises the wind goes forward, the wind goes, the wind goes towards the south and circles around to the north. Round and around it swirls about, ever returning to its circuits. <clears throat> All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they go again. All things are wearisome, no one can express them. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What is What has been is what will be, and what has been done will be done again. (coughs) There is nothing new under the sun. Is is there anything about which is said, look, this is new. It was already here long ago, in the ages long before us. There is no remembrance for former things, and, and things yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Of course, we don't stop there, but you hear a man who's expressing some disappointment. 
He's expressing what a lot of us feel, a loss of passion for our ministry, maybe just for life in general, loss of passion for our work, for our family, for life in general. Anybody, anybody ever experienced that loss of passion? You know, it's, it's, you know, where you say all things are weariness and wearisome. There's nothing under the sun that's new. And you know what? It's not easy to have passion when you're feeling helpless or hopeless. Believe me, we're going to get to the good stuff today. Thank you. I've got some water there. We're going to get to the good stuff today, but I just want to just paint a picture of where a lot of us are at. You know, I titled this message because sometimes I come up with just kind of weird 60-ish titles to songs that don't mean a thing. You know that song, You've Lost Your Loving Feeling? You know, and all of us can identify with that. But at the end of that song, it says, bring back that loving feeling. Bring back that loving feeling. And he wants to do that today. So I want to talk about, because we all start with passion. We all start with just, a, uh, just a, an excitement about our life in Yeshua, whether you're called to ministry or, just, or, or whatever you're called to. We all start with that. And then things that happen that they come along to steal that passion. Steal that passion. Passion is strong and barely controllable emotions. It's enthusiasm, a, a desire for anything. You remember those days when you say, whatever it is, God, I want to do it. Whatever it is, God, I want to be there. That kind of passion. God doesn't want us to stay in the place of lack of passion. He does not want us to stay there. But it is important, and that's what I want to talk about today. It's important to identify what has stolen it. Now, I'm talking from a place of ministry. I've been in ministry now for 32 years, going on 32 years. Now, not all of us are what would you would consider to be professional ministry, but all of us are in a ministry. All of us have a ministry whether it's to the place where we live, to the neighbors around us, whether it's in our workplace, it doesn't matter. Whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's in the school we work with or we're studying in, it doesn't matter. All of us have that call of ministry service on us. It's not just to the professional minister, the pastors and the missionaries, but all of us do. So it is important to identify what's stolen the passion. We have to identify it, first of all, as kingdom people. We of all people should be the people of passion. And let's be honest, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're just going through the motions. We put on the face. How you doing? Okay, good. No, we don't say okay. We say good, great, praise the Lord. What's the, what's the term that we often hear? Blessed and highly favored. How are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. You know, we say that because we're almost conditioned to say that. And that may be the case, and, and it is the case, but you may not right then be feeling that, but you're saying those words, and yet you're, you know, you just had an argument with your wife, your kids are in rebellion, you know, you, things aren't going well in the job, and, you, and, you, and you're saying something because it's the right thing to say, but inside you're feeling thud. You're feeling nothing. You ever, anybody identify with that, or am I just speaking to myself today? 
So I want to talk about passion drainers. Passion drainers, those things that drag our passion. Number one, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. You start off strong. And I remember, I remember when I had an encounter with Jesus. I didn't know him as Yeshua, but I had an encounter with Jesus. Changed my life. Man, I was on fire. I was, first of all, every meeting the church had, I was there. I would go to work and I would tell people what Jesus is doing. I would go to my friends, and these are friends that I would, that I was in the military with. And you know, the last thing, we were not what I would call, um, how would I say, spiritually um, uh, in touch people. We were just wanting to party and, and we would, and I would talk to them about the Lord and to the point where they didn't want to be my friends anymore. But I didn't care. I was on fire for those things. You have a vision of what God is wanting to do with your life. And you were excited and you wanted to do everything. You wanted to do it all. You know, let me just, let me, I'm going to read you some statistics. And this is the way all of us start off in our walk with the Lord. I think most of us can say, yeah, I was so on fire. I want to read some statistics. And these statistics relate to people who are in ministry, but I think we can, we can kind of grasp it. It's, it's dealing with all of us. 70% of those who are called to ministry have a lower self-image now than when they started in the ministry. 70%. 80% in ministry have a negative... They say that, the, that their ministry has negatively impacted, affected their family. 70%. Say, the ministry has not been good for my family. I can identify with that. 80% seminary graduates will leave ministry in just five years. 70% or 80%. 50% of people in ministry are so discouraged that they would leave if they could, but they can't because it's the only income they have. It's the only thing they've been trained for. And they feel like they're not able or qualified to do anything else. And if they would, they, would, they could leave. 50%. 70% of those in ministry say they don't have any close friends. They don't have any close friends because they can't trust. Trust has been broken. Trust, they've been betrayed. And they can't trust. And so they don't want to make friends. They can't make friends. They, they feel like they can't make friends. 70%. 57% of those in ministry say they can't pay the bills. One out of 10. One person in the ministry out of 10 actually retires from the ministry. Most of them leave burned out, go into some other profession. Doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? Doesn't sound very encouraging. But the good news is, you know what? God wants us to finish strong. God wants all of us to finish strong. And one of the reasons for this to take place where we have unmet expectations Maybe our, our expectations were unrealistic to start with. But life happens. Things happen to us. Things happen to us. And also, and this is a factor that of unmet expectations, is all of us, especially if we're in Jewish ministries, not, not just Jewish ministries, but especially in Jewish ministries, there's incredible spiritual warfare that drains you. And all of us... If you're part of this Messianic congregation, you're involved in Jewish ministry. And you see, what is God wanting to do in these end days is to, to bring the church 
into its fullness, into pleroma, into fullness, so that Israel, all Israel, will be saved when the church comes into its fullness. But guess who else knows that truth? The devil. We have an adversary who says, I know when the people of Israel, when the people of Jerusalem cry out, Baruch HaBa it's over. And he will do anything he can to stop that from taking place. For the Jewish people to enter into their covenantal calling to invite the Messiah back. And so the enemy will work harder in those in Jewish ministers. I believe that. I believe that. I heard this and it just and it explains it, it describes it pretty well. It's like swimming upstream in peanut butter. Could you imagine? Isn't that a picturesque, you know? And I don't want to point a, paint a picture of just utter dismay, but sometimes you feel you feel like you're just swimming upstream in peanut butter. You're, it's this gooey, and you're not really making any progress. And so we we grow hopeless, and we grow frustrated and anger, angry. And how do we deal with this? First of all. See it in your life. If you're there, don't be afraid to say, you know what, that's me. That's me. Allow the Lord to drain that disappointment from you. He is the God of all hope and the God of all expectations. Maybe our unrealistic expectations he wants to replace with his desires, his expectations for your life. And they may be different than what you thought they were. He wants to drain that disappointment from your hearts. Unmet expectations. It's a drainer. It's a drainer. The second drainer of passion is offense and unforgiveness. Offense and unforgiveness. Bottom line is people will let us down. People will let us down repeatedly. And I'm not just speaking of somebody who's ministry. You know that. You know that. You put your trust in people. They let you down, and they'll do it again. Personally, I think ministry is absolutely the best profession in the entire world, and it would be absolutely perfect if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) How's that coming from your pastor's heart? No, you know my heart. I love it. But that's, you know, when all things are said and done, there's only two things that remain. It's our relationship with God, our relationships with people. We're in a family, and this is an eternal family. So it's not like, hey, you know, see you later. I don't know, I'm not going to see that person again. No, we have to learn to live together because we're going to be doing that in eternity. Sure, people are going to betray us over, you know, disagreements, major disagreements, but also minor disagreements. I've shared this story before, and we've all heard the same story. And it actually happened to Millie and I when we first, you know, began, you know, we were were working in jobs, but we were also involved in leadership in our church, and we were in a building program. And, and of course, it came down to the the final uh, aspects of the building, the putting in of the carpet. You know where I'm going, the color of the carpet. 
I'm telling you, I've heard this from other people, but yet it did happen to us at Faith Assembly of Lacey in 1983. We were in a building program, and the pastor had his desire for the color of carpet. I don't remember what it was, whether it was blue or red. I do not know. I don't remember. It was blue? His desire was blue. And, And then they had a committee. Committees come from the pit of hell. But they had the... The remodeling committee, the carpet committee, you know, God so loved the world that he sent a committee. No, that's not the scripture, is it? No. But anyways, you know, others in there has had red carpet. He wanted a blue, it was red, and, huh? They wanted brown? Okay, whatever the colors, I'm colorblind anyways. It didn't matter to me. But, you know, our dear friends, and she was, she was the church secretary, and she was on the brown side against the pastor's blue side. And she began to, and, and pretty soon there was animosity that came up, and it, and it almost split the church. And actually, they did leave the church. She had to resign as secretary. So that's what I'm talking about, stupid stuff that comes in. This, and, and so the offense, what was the offense? color of the carpet. And the pastor did get his way on that. Now, whether that's right or wrong, that's just the way it was. The challenge is that don't become offended. Now, that's easier said than done. When we're hurt, deal with it. We become hurt because of unforgiveness. And when unforgiveness is left undealt with, it creates bitterness that contaminates others. Believe me, if you're walking in unforgiveness towards someone and you're not dealing with it in a biblical way, (coughs) there will be a root of bitterness that comes into you. And you may not know this, but others will pick that up in regards to that other person. That's why it says a, a bitter root defiles many. That unforgiveness will lead to, if not dealt with, will lead to broken relationships, even marriages. Will lead to a depression that comes on you like an extreme darkness. It will lead, undealt with unforgiveness will lead to depression. It will lead to physical sickness. It will lead actually to to physical sickness, heart attacks, cancers. You know, there's, there's statistics that prove that out. And, and ultimately, it, it brings a lack of witness for Yeshua when we walk in unforgiveness. So how do we truly forgive? We talk about it all the time. We, we talk about Matthew 18, you know, if your brother sins against you. A lot of times we don't even take, it's not even a sin. It's just they didn't greet you in a way that you thought would be appropriate or they didn't look at you or something like that and you were offended by that. They didn't sin, but you took it in that way. You know, sometimes that happens. That happens. But we don't deal with it in a proper way. So how do we truly forgive? And I wish I had a week to go through this, but first of all, we acknowledge the pain of what that person did. It's important to acknowledge the pain. When somebody hurts you, betrays you, you know, and then, you know, maybe they'll come to you and say, hey, would you forgive me? And you'll say, well, that's all right. It didn't hurt me. Be honest. Acknowledge the pain. And even go deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. 
It doesn't matter. A perceived offense is real to you. Right. Yeah. And if it's a perceived offense, that's what you, you need to get that straightened out because it may not have been an offense at all. Right. Okay. But anyways, it, it, it hurt you. It did something inside of you. Exactly. You go to the Lord and say, and the Lord said, no, there was, you're, you're making too much out of this, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's really important. So acknowledge the pain that it did hurt. Acknowledge how you felt when that took place, when that offense took place. Acknowledge how you felt. Take it a step farther. What are your feelings? I was angry. I felt betrayed. I felt, oh, what are some other words? I felt um, abused. You know, think about feeling words, how that made you feel. And what did you believe about yourself? And usually that would trigger something that's happened in the past. It will usually trigger something. How did it make you feel? What did you believe about yourself? And what did you do in response to that offense, whether it was real or perceived? What did you do? And that's your responsibility to deal with what you did. And then when you've done this and you're working through this and you're, you're dealing, when, we, when we've worked with people in, in, in uh, forgiveness, we actually put a, uh, an empty chair in the place of that person they need to forgive. And we have the person speak to them, that empty chair, as if the person is there to deal with that pain and how it made them feel. But then to come to the place where they say, I forgive you. I forgive you, not I want to forgive you or I'd like to forgive you, but I choose to forgive you. And then bless and accept that person if possible. Bless and accept. You may not, it may not even be possible because the person that offended you, maybe they're no longer here. Maybe they've moved away. Maybe they're, they, they've gone, they're, they're dead. But it's up to you to, to just to, to if, if at all possible, to bless them, to bless them, but also to accept them, accept them. And that's hard because a lot of times we'll say, I'll forgive you if I can, only, I can forgive you only if you do this. In other words, expect them to change. And that's the Holy Spirit's job is to change them. But when you release that person, you're actually being set out of a, set free from a prison that you're in. So you forgive the person and you bless them without an expectation that they're going to change. Ooh, that's a hard one. Forgiving somebody without an expectation that they're going to change. Yeshua doesn't say, forgive as I've forgiven, except if they've done this or if they've done that or if they don't do this or if they don't do that. He didn't say that. He said, forgive them. Offense will blind us if not dealt with. It will blind us if we're, not dealt, if we're not dealing with it. The third sapper or drainer of passion is rejection. And it starts early in life. It starts early in life. I, you know, and how do I know that? You, you, you think of your life in, in a rejection experience. No matter how old you are, you can probably remember that, recall that exactly like it took place, your perception of how it took place. And I remember the first rejection I ever felt. I was probably seven years old, and I probably had been rejected before, but I'm certainly by my brothers, because my brother was always, you know, doing something, because I was the younger of all. So I was always, but the first one that I actually remember, and I've shared this before, but I was seven years old, and we had moved, 
from one part of the city to the other part of the city. And I've only been to the new house one time. So my parents said at the mo in the morning, he said, after school, 3 o'clock, be waiting outside in front of the school at the flagpole. So at 3 o'clock, I'm waiting out there. 3.15, 3.30, nobody comes by. 3.45, nobody has come. I'm feeling afraid. It's my fault. They forgot me. It's my fault somehow. And I have to fix this. And so I start walking in the direction of the house. Now, I've only been there one time. So I start walking in the general direction that I know the house is. And I pass a, a, a landmark that I knew was there. I was like, okay, I'm going the right way. And all this time I'm feeling fear. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. For some reason, they didn't pick me up, and it's my fault. And then I see a street, and I said, I saw that street before, because I could read anyways, and I could read the names of the streets. And I saw that street, and I turned down that street, and there's the moving van, and there's my house. And there's my parents on the, on the front porch saying, oh, we forgot you. We forgot you. We're sorry. And, of course, they had other things on their mind. You could imagine. They're moving. And, but it's just something I felt inside, and I took this rejection inside. First of all, it's my fault I did something wrong and that I'm easily forgotten, easily overlooked. And so every rejection experience of my life, up to a point where God pointed that out to me many years later, that experience, he says, you need to forgive. Even though they didn't do anything wrong, it was a perception you know, but actually it became my fault. And so I had to forgive and let them go. And rejection is something that many of us struggle with. And it's not just in the family situations. Rejection of a Jew, as myself as a Jew, coming to the Messiah in my family. My family didn't go, oh, we're so glad he's come to know Yeshua is his Messiah. We're so glad. No, it was not that at all. They thought I was crazy. They really thought we had joined a cult. You know, they didn't do a funeral for us, and they didn't do that, you know, but there was just a, a just a, they didn't get us, and they kind of, they kind of said, something's going on there. So we were rejected by our own family. But also, many of you who are in the Messianic congregation that you're in now, or another Messianic congregation, you've been rejected by your family your Christian family, because you're going to a Messianic congregation. Can you identify with that? Okay. What in the world are you? You put yourself under the law again. Why have you do this? Why are you joining? The, you're not Jewish, and why do you do that? Why do you go on Saturday? Why do you do this? And so there's a rejection that we all feel, okay? Because of our Messianic beliefs and because of our 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 biblical understanding of the feasts and the Shabbat, we experience that rejection from the church. Something about rejection, remember, Yeshua said, they've rejected me, they'll also reject you. It's nothing new. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. Rejection. Deal with the rejection. How do we deal with the rejection? We go to the Lord. The Lord will never forsake us, abandon us. He will never do that. Do we truly, truly believe that? Or are the rejection experiences from my past 
more powerful than what God's word says. And this is what the word that Carol says is, what does he say? He will never leave you nor abandon you. Your friends, your family, they may do that, but he will never do that. Do we believe that truth? That is the way when we get that, that perspective of who God is, that he will never reject us. But he can familiar, He understands the rejection he feels because he experienced it himself. So we have unmet expectations. We have unforgiveness and offenses. We have rejection. And the fourth drainer of passion is pride. Pride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why does, it, why does pride drain us? Simple. God is resisting you. You're walking in pride. Guess who's, in, who's coming against you? God himself. Submit to him instead in this. Because if you're constantly resisting the will of God in your life because you know better, you've done it before, you know how it's going to work out. You're going to continue to. You're going to get weary after a while because you're fighting against God. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want to be on the humble side. We need to fight against that pride. It's a wonderful example. It's a tragic example, unfortunately, in the scriptures. King Hezekiah. In Isaiah 38, 39, we're not going to go to these scriptures, but he was a man who served and followed God in his early years, just like Solomon. And then later on in his life, he became very ill to the point of death. He was terminally ill. He calls for the prophet. He cries out to God, and, and, and the prophet Isaiah comes, prays over him, and God gives him 15 years of life to extend his life. Interesting. Right after that, some, some fellows from Babylon come, and Hezekiah, filled with pride, opens up his treasury and shows these Babylonians all the wealth and all the stuff that God has given him. He was not supposed to do that. But he was showing off in his pride. Look what I've got. Look what I've got. Look what we've won. Look what we've won in our battles. Pride. The prophet comes back. Isaiah comes back and he said, what are you doing? Why did you do that? And he prophesies again over Hezekiah, and he says, you know what, because of what you did, because of the pride, there's going to be a doom upon your descendants. They're going to be taken into captivity by the very people that you just showed off your wealth to, the Babylonians. And you know what Hezekiah's response was? Hezekiah's response was, oh, that's a good word. At least there will be shalom and security in my days. That's exactly what he said. Well, at least it's not going to affect me. At least it's not going to affect me. He didn't care about his sons and his daughters, his generations that were going to be coming. He didn't care about that. See, pride diminishes our passion for the lost becomes all about me. Pride is deceptive. It blinds us to what is really inside of us. We think we're okay, but we're really not. That's why when, you know, and I'm not saying when somebody comes up to you and you, they say, hey, how are you doing? Don't, if, you know, 
if you don't know the person, don't get into your whole life story about how, you know, what, what. But, you know, just sometimes when you're with somebody and just say, you know what? I'm not doing good real not right, right now. I need, I need you to, to listen to me as I share what's going on or to pray for me. You know, pride says, I'm fine. I'm great. And people will just assume, oh, okay, he's fine. He's great. Pride just, it just, it just thinks everything's okay, but it's not. Humility is being willing to be known for who you really are. It's the ability to be known for who you really are. Pride is the opposite, not being willing to be known for who you really are. In the messianic movement, and I'm not, you know, believe me, I, I've, I've been in this movement for over 20 years, and I love this movement, but sometimes we can tend to, to look down on those who do not get Israel and do not get the understanding of Torah the way we did, the way we do. And we can kind of walk and say, well, they just don't get it. We get it. They don't. We have, we have an understanding that they don't. And you know what? There's some truth, yes, but we need to be careful. Pride goeth before a fall. We need to be walking in humility. Ask the Lord, how do I communicate? Lord, you've opened up the Torah to me in so many ways. You've, you've opened, you know, opened up your purposes for the Jewish people in these last days in so many ways. How can I communicate in a way that's gracious and humble to those who don't understand. How do I do that? And that's a challenge for all of us. C.S. Lewis, he says something to this effect, I'm paraphrasing. If you're always looking down on other people, we'll not be able to see above. So, I want to bring a conclusion here. Lynn, why don't you come on up? Worship team, come on up. David, Michelle, come on up. So, keys to... Renew the passion that we've lost. Maybe some of us, we're still walking in that passion, hallelujah, but keys to renew that passion. I want to talk about three of them. The first one is simple, simply El Roy. El Roy, the Lord who sees me. The Lord who sees me. See, you know the story of Hagar. She was the maidservant to Sarai and and you know the story is that Sarai was barren. We heard that today in the Torah portion. So Sarai, before her name is changed to Sarah, just encourages Abraham to go have a child with her maidservant. And everything is well and, and everybody lives happily ever after. End of story. Not. No. You know what happens. The jealousy arises and she's basically, she's, she's, um, just accosted by Sarai, and she's, you know, she Sarai goes to Abraham, says, "Get rid of this woman, throw her out." She's being tormented by Sarai, and she so she flees and she goes out into the wilderness, and she's she's all by herself. And the Lord shows up. The Lord shows up to this woman, Hagar. First of all, He says, "Where have you come from, and where are you going?" Now, this is not one of those geographical questions. Where are you coming from? What street? What address are you coming from? And what street and address are you going to? It's like, where are you coming from and where are you going to? Verse, or chapter, Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. And so she's, the Lord is speaking to her. And she, she says, she called Adonai who was speaking to her says, you are the God who sees me. 
First time, that's the name, and this name is coming from this woman, Hagar, a name of God. You are the God who sees me, El-Roi, El-Roi, the God who sees me. He is the one who looks after me. She sees that God sees her. This changes her life. She sees now that God sees her. Do we see that God sees us in where we're at? Do we see that God sees us and where we're at. That's number one, is, is to know that he's the God who sees us. El Roi. That's his name. That's his character. That's who God is. Secondly, spend time with the Lord. Now that may just seem so simple and so cliche. Spend time with the Lord. Proverbs 8 verse 17 says, I love those who love me. Those who earnestly seek me find me. Spend time with the Lord when everything just seems to be crashing down. When you've lost your passion, the enemy will come and say, see, where's your God now? But that's where we press in. We spend time with the Lord and we are in his face and we will not leave that place until he visits us. And encourages us. How many times I go to the Lord. I'm discouraged about this or I'm about that. And I don't want to go to the Lord. But I know that principle. Go to the Lord. Seek him. Seek him. And, and, you, and, and you'll, be, he'll be, you'll be found. He'll find you. He sees you. He knows where you're at. Earnestly seek him. And he will find you. Third Renew your vision. Renew your vision. Ask the Lord, what is his vision for your life? Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no divine vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who keeps the Torah. Isn't that interesting? Vision is connected to keeping the Torah. Being in the word of God. Being in the word of God. Get new revelation from the Lord, from where you're at. Or maybe it's just tweak the, rev the vision that he's given you. Maybe you've wandered from the vision that he gave you and, and he needs to, to tweak that to bring you back, to bring you fresh new vision. Seek the Lord for that vision. There's a quote by Helen Keller. Would you stand with me? You know who Kel Helen Keller was? She was blind. She said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. Sometimes I think many of us, including myself, I can see, I can see but I, I lose sight of the vision that God's given me. God wants to restore that vision that he gave you. Maybe it was a long time ago. He wants to res restore them. And renew that. And you know, as we're we're seeing God as who He is, that He's the one who sees us. We're spending time in His presence. We're asking Him for that vision. That passion is going to be restored. That passion for for ministry, that passion for life, that passion for your job that you've lost, it's going to be restored. This is the word for you. Carol, the passion that you have, it's going to be restored. There's going to be breakthrough. 
It's going to be breakthrough. He's leading us all into a new season. You know, the, the last season was a good season, but now it's a, it's a new season that it's leading into. So this is transition time. It's not a comfortable place to be. Transition is not a good place to be. I, I like stability. <laughs> I like sameness. I can tend to be boring. Believe it or not, I know you think I'm just this wonderful, you know, just all he's excited. And, but I can tend to just want sameness all the time. And when your life is, in, and you know what, my life right now, things are, you know, we're in the process of, of looking to move, you know, not not away from me, but into another house, closer actually to the mountain. Here. You know, and this things, I don't, you know, your house has to be in a certain way because somebody may come over and look at your house in an hour, you know, and I'm like, no, you know. So I just, so all of these things, and this is where we have to be in the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, I put my trust in you. I look to you for my vision. And yes, seasons of transitions can be uncomfortable places, but God wants to bring us through into a place of breakthrough in your ministry. And I believe, Kent, for you, I'm just speaking this over. I know God is going to, you, you're a man of, of authority in the town of Georgetown. And, um, but God is, is expanding things. And you may not know exactly what it is, but I think part of what you're experiencing is that just this, you're in this, this place of, of transition. I'm not saying leaving that place, or, but it's just new things are opening up. And so there's a little bit of unsettledness. And this is for all of us, all of us, wherever we're at. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you in a minute, but this is a season of renewal of our first love. You know, sometimes we have to be honest and say, you know what, that excitement I felt when I first got saved. I haven't felt that in a while. I still love the Lord. I know He's real. Matter of fact, I know more now that He's real than ever before. I've seen miracles. I've seen incredible things that I know it was God. But sometimes you've lost that passion and God wants to bring that first love. And be honest about our passions and desires or lack of them. Be honest about those things. Share with a brother. If you're a, if you're a guy, share with another guy. Say, you know what, I, just pray for me in these areas. Or if you're a lady, find another lady to just pray for you in those areas for renewal of that passion. Don't settle for a flatline relationships. Flatline relationships where just everything's fine. You know, we're just going along. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for that. This is a time to re-engage with the Lord to re-engage with his vision for you to re-engage. Amen? Avinu our Father and our King, we bless you and honor you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us so much. Lord, you've called us into a body and each, and each and every one of us has a place, a position, a skill, an ability, a gift to be used in that body, Lord God. And some of us know what that is. Others are in the process of learning what that is. Father, I pray for that revelation to know, to know, to know what you called us to do, to be in that body. You haven't called us to be lone rangers out there, but you've called us to be in the body, to be working with one another. Father, I pray for a renewal of passion, Lord God. Renewal of passion in marriages, renewal of passions in families, in jobs, in the ministry that we've been called to. Father, I pray that in the name of Yeshua, light that fire, Lord God. Light that fire, Lord God. Renew the vision. 
Renew the vision. Tweak the vision, whatever's necessary. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.
back that love and feeling. Amen? Amen. He will do that. He will do that when we're committed to Him. Hallelujah. I want to close the service with the ironic blessing and just invite everybody downstairs as we have our own egg lunch. It's just a potluck lunch, and you're all invited downstairs to enjoy some fellowship. And then we'll have tour club today at 3 o'clock downstairs and dance practice. Is that right? Yeah. I want to speak a blessing over the congregation. Hope I still have a voice to, to speak that over you. And as I share many times, as I share many times, this is not the period or the exclamation point at the end of the sermon or, okay, it's all over. This is a... Um, a blessing that the Lord commands upon his people. We find this in Numbers chapter 6. The people of Israel would gather. So when they gathered, he spoke to God spoke to Moses to speak to Aaron and the priests that you were to bless them and to bless them in this way. And when we do something, can we reach across the aisles and grip, link arms with one another? Just if you would, link arms if you can with one another. I'd like to do this. It shows that we're in this together. Thank you, Father. Yevrechicha Adonai Vishmarecha Yair Adonai Pana Ehlecha Bitunecha Isa Adonai Panaheleko Vehasel Lehika Shahalom Isa The Lord would bless you and keep you. The Lord would make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord would lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his grace, his mercy, his presence, his desires, his love would be overflowing in you. Hashem Yeshua HaMashiach, thank you that Yeshua, you are the Prince of Peace. Sarshel Shalom. We bless you in Yeshua's name. Amen, amen, and amen. Pastor Stu. Could I just encourage everybody to please get my get to know my friend Michelle. She is a missionary in Malawi. Yes. And she is um, wanting to learn more about the Jewish roots of the faith to pass it on to the children she's adopted there. And she's looking for resources and so forth. And I just wanted to encourage you to get to know her down downstairs. She's got three daughters of her own that, that you've adopted, right? And she ministers. <laughs> praise God. And she ministers to special needs people in Malawi in Africa. So get to know her and others, and you're welcome downstairs. 
Don and Mary, we love that you guys are being here today. You might notice that our Messianic services go a little bit longer than most church services. It's because we just love to be in His presence. So, amen. Amen. Amen.